Welcome to the Crown Council Mentor of the Month, where we connect with dental experts, leaders, and specialists in their field to copy genius. Welcome to the Crown Council Mentor of the Month. This is Steve Anderson, and I welcome this month a longtime Crown Council Research Partner and Mentor, Bryant Truitt, who is a certified fraud investigator, and I'm sure it's a lot more sophisticated sounding than that, but uh, Brian is the guy who goes in and uh, after the fact and uh, forensically tries to find everything that has been misappropriated, if anything has. Uh, he probably knows more about <clears throat> the form and function of a business and uh, how to keep things right where they're supposed to be uh, so that you can retain everything that you have rightfully earned. So, uh, Brian, welcome. And again, for being a uh, a uh, mentor of the month. This is not the first time we've done this. And uh, I've given you an assignment today, which is to give us a, a, a short course and a, a just a must do list of all the things that should be in place so that you can have at least some peace of mind that the things that are supposed to be in the practice stay in the practice, uh, especially when it has to do with money. So looking forward to uh, discussing your, your list here and your recommendations. Thanks for being with us. Thank you very much, Steve. It's an honor and a pleasure to be with you once again. Uh, it's always a great joy and uh, very exciting for me to visit with the, uh, the dentist and all your clients. And let's start off with one of my most favorite subjects, okay. Fidelity Bond. All right. The Fidelity Bond is basically an insurance policy that will help you in case you have misappropriation of assets within the practice, our practices. It is basically employee dishonesty insurance. It is the lowest cost valuable insurance that you will ever purchase. It can be, I'll give you one example. In Texas, a $25,000 fidelity bond will cost you a doctor $92 a year. You may already have a fidelity bond and not even know it because in some states, your state association provides it as an, a very quiet rider in one of your policies that you may purchase from the association. Or it can be purchased as a rider on your property insurance, on your business. So it's always valuable to sit down with your insurance agent before the fact that you buy a policy of any type and go through the policy. but if you have the policy for property insurance or business insurance, you'll want to sit down and, and become knowledgeable regarding the content of that policy. And it's for the doctor and the staff benefit. That's very important because what it does is it protects the employee and, and the other members of the team and it also protects the doctor. Okay, so it, it protects the doctor because if something's misappropriated, if something goes missing, then the insurance will pay for its replacement, right? Correct. Correct. And How does it protect a team member? Well, it protects the team member if there is an instance where someone decides that they need something more than the doctor needs it, either financially or equipment-wise then the doctor can make a claim to the insurance company and the insurance company can investigate the claim to see if it has merit 
and also to see exactly in their mind who did it and reimburse the doctor for the cost of that loss. Okay. And that loss can be also investigated by other parties, such as myself, and we turn that information over to the insurance company, but the insurance company is the one who decides of the uh, infraction along with other factors that they may uh, deem necessary. But what it does is it, it protects the employee and in, in doing so, it helps for the insurance company to insure the doctor by ensuring that they investigate it and not the doctor to determine if there was a loss. Therefore, it is not self-serving. If the doctor investigated it by himself or herself, it could be self-serving, and that is not a good idea. Got so it. so the, if you don't, short of having fidelity insurance, I think this is, this is a real key thing, because I've heard you say in the past, it's the lowest cost, uh, probably most beneficial type of insurance you can have for the price. So if you don't have fidelity insurance, fidelity bond, the chances of getting back whatever was stolen in terms of somebody embezzles any type of, you know, the chances of getting that money back are what? Slim to none if you don't have a fidelity slim, bond? Slim to none. Uh, generally, it's less than 10% at very best. Got it. Okay. And it also, if you get the policy, if a doctor takes out the policy, I recommend very highly that he has or she has the insurance agent come to the practice, explain to the practice team at a morning meeting or a monthly meeting what exactly it is, but what you do not do. You do not tell the, the team members the value of the policy that you have taken out. Right. You never disclose to the team that it's a $25,000 policy or a $100,000 policy. It makes no difference. It, there's no reason for these people to know that. All right. All right. That so way. Two, two things there. So the value of having the insurance company come explain is the message is uh, if somebody unwisely decides to embezzle or take something that's not theirs, you're not going to be answerable to the doctor. You're going to be answerable to a third party which is a big insurance company with a lot of money and a lot of resources, and they aren't going to stop until they get to the bottom of it. So it's, it's preventative in nature, correct? Absolutely. But what it also does is the team needs to know that the insurance company is not going to mess around. Right. They're, they're going to go for the bottom line, and they're going to find out what happens. And, that, and I help the insurance companies do this with the reviews and investigation that I do and the documentation that we provide to the insurance companies. And then they come in and they do their own investigation. Uh, in terms of face amount of the insurance, so let's say uh, for stars, let's say I've got a million dollar practice, I'm producing a million dollars a year. Uh, what just broad recommendations in terms of amount of coverage is 25,000 enough. Should I do a hundred thousand? What do you recommend? 25,000 would not be enough. Okay. I recommend for a million dollar practice, you get a hundred thousand dollars. Okay. Now you can get more. So you can talk to your, your agent about that. And most companies, 
Travelers, uh, Safeco, um, Prudential, all the major firms provide that, that coverage. And it is absolutely valuable. It is the best asset that you can purchase for the lowest possible cost as a prevention tool, but also in case you ever need it, it's there to assist you both in processing the claim to and finding the right parties and also becoming somewhat whole again. Got it. Okay. So uh, that is, I think, well put. Um, my personal view, Brian, as a business owner myself, uh, anybody without, especially a dentist without, uh, and I'll be a little more bold than, than you are because I know you, you want to uh, you'll never overstate anything. My opinion is anybody that does not have a fidelity bond or fidelity insurance is naive and is driving without a seatbelt at 120 miles an hour. It's, I mean, the, the chances that you will have some type of an event over the lifetime of your practice with as many team members as you have coming and going, the chances that you'll have an event, uh, you would know the numbers, but I'm going to say probably 100%. At some point in a 35, 40 year career span. Am I overstating? You're overstating a little bit. The national average now is about 60%. So that's all? 60%? <laughs> At least yeah. once. But I At do, least once, right. I do have a client that you know that's had three embezzlements and the last one was $800,000. Yeah. That's a, and that, that takes your breath away. And a lot of other things. Well, it also takes it takes the breath away of the doctor who's in uh, reaching uh, retirement uh, pinnacle. That comes right out of the bottom line for his retirement or her retirement. Got it. Okay, we're going to move on um, in the interest of time. And, and here's what I'm going to ask you to do is uh, that is kind of a broad-based uh, backdrop to have that on, on your side. Um, can we go to daily habits? Uh, daily habits that um, will reduce the chances that you'll ever lose something or assets will be misappropriated. Uh, can you share some of the, uh, what you would consider to be essential daily habits that you find lacking in, in most of the practices that you go in, things that as a business owner, a dentist ought to be checking every day? Yes. Uh I call them the trust but verify techniques, and those are your internal controls regarding the critical reports that are available off your software. Also keep in mind that the software and your uh, providers today do have the ability to provide custom reports that will fit your needs also. And um, Dentrix is one of those that have come out with a new program uh, in your pocket, and that's something that doctors can look at. But in addition, what would, you say, what would you say is probably the least looked at, most important practice management software report that uh, needs to be looked at? That would clearly be the audit trail. Okay, and for those that may not be be familiar with it, audit trail shows what? It shows depending upon how it is set up in the system, which you should get guidance from the software uh, provider or your consultant, your practice uh, 
consultant, it shows you every transaction in the, in the program that occurred during that business day. Now, that can be extremely detailed and the doctor can make the decision as to what he or she wants to look at every, every day or they should look at the audit trail at least weekly and it tracks every activity that is in the audit trail. And one of the things that a lot, a lot of doctors do not look at is the prescription history, what prescriptions were written. Another uh, item that they typically do not look at and they're very good reports. There's one software out there that has an excellent practice analy uh, analyst uh, uh, program in it that will produce the analysis of the practice that day, and, it, and it, it's an excellent product. Most doctors don't know about it. They need to find out about it. But you're a, the fastest way for a doctor to go broke in dentistry or in, in any healthcare entity, for that matter, but particularly in dentistry, is they do not look at the adjustment discounts write-offs report. And that is the fastest way to have a for sale sign on your building. If you don't know what adjustment codes you've got in that software, we just did a practice and we found 42 adjustment codes. And there's no reason to have 42 adjustment codes in a, in a uh, dental practice. That should be, should be what? Codes. How many adjustment codes were is was eight to ten maybe max right max okay and uh, the discounts the one that we just go absolutely crazy about and there is no good sound business reason to have a miscellaneous adjustment none whatsoever right. that is the bottomless that is an absolute bottomless pit of nothing but giveaway and and it's foolhardy. It is the catch-all for disaster, and you'd be amazed at the number of practices. And another thing doctors don't look at, and they, they don't monitor it, and there are ways to play games with credit, uh, credit balances that the doctors would not discover unless they are monitoring the credit uh, balance report. But the thing about credit balances that most doctors really don't target about, and I have written on this subject, is that credit balances are opportunities in disguise. They are okay. production opportunities. If you know how to use the, the credit balances to your advantage, they are very valuable. Another thing doctors don't look at, and, and this uh, occurred just recently, uh, are vendor list. And there's ways to misapply vendor list to the benefit of someone who wishes to do the practice harm. But as far as daily reports, look at the end of day reports that your computer uh, program, your practice uh, program will print out for you. Look at the package of reports. And what you want to do, and you want to ensure that you do, is check the balances on your end of day patient report, your history, patient history report with the deposit slip and the one that actually goes to the bank. Most okay, doctors- Who should be going to the bank? Someone other than the person that, that, that's known as the big five. The big five is the person that receives the mail, opens the mail, posts the mail, makes out the deposit slip and takes it to the bank is the wrong person to be doing all five of those things. You've got to intercede in there and divide that up. 
we just did a, uh, a, a client lost $429,000 over four years because no one was checking the daily reports. Okay. So the daily reports, I'm sorry. The point, I think the point there just for emphasis is the checks and balances are set up to protect everybody in the practice. In other words, it's, it's as much for the uh, team members protection. It is the doctors because then if the checks and balances are set up, then there is a lower likelihood of someone's honesty being called into question because you've got the system set up uh, to make sure that everybody stays honest. I want to add one more to this, and it's really critical. Do not let any patient be archived without the personal approval of the doctor. Because so they're archived or, or inactivated is inactivated or archived either one. Uh, I just call it archived because as far as I'm concerned, once they're archived, they're forgotten about. Okay. And, and that is critical because of, well, there's all kinds of things that can happen to that. And, okay. and uh, I, I'm real, I'm real, I'm, I'm like concrete about that type of thing, unmovable object. So that's a, that's a non-negotiable. In other words, anybody that gets inactivated has to have the doctor's approval. Now, can, can you talk about um, how you set this up in the practice management software in terms of, because you can set up different levels of authority in the system and who should be given administrative rights at the highest level in the software program? Only one person, the owning doctor. And so if, to, I, if I have a big practice and I've got a practice manager, my practice manager shouldn't have the highest level of administrative rights. Absolutely not. Okay. And neither should any of your associate uh, in the practice. The owning doctor, the guy or gal that owns the practice should only be the, the one that has that administrative right. Now, your IT individual outside, if you have vetted the, the IT person, um, you may look at tr entrusting him or her into that and also your CPA or your attorney so that you have someone just in case you go out on a, a motorcycle dental tour and you have an unfortunate accident and are unable to continue in the practice. But the bottom line is no one in the practice other than the owning doctor should have that administrative rights. Got it. Um, okay, so uh, what else on a daily basis would you say are habits of, of good business owners that they're looking at um, daily? You've given us some good, good thoughts there. All right. One of the things I feel that doctors can do a better job at is listening and listening to their team have big eyes and big ears and a very small mouth because I have never found a practice in 21 years of doing this. If there's something inappropriate going on in that practice, there's always someone else other than the perpetrator that knows about it. They have a gut feel, they have an intuition, and particularly ladies are super duper at intuition. Yeah. And they know something is not proper. And we have a, a situation right now I know of in a, in a practice that 
that uh, is most interesting is someone had a, a gut feeling that something wasn't right at the front desk when they went up there and relieved the front desk person for a couple of days and they found out that there was something amiss and we're working on that. And so it's, it, that is a big thing and doctors do not do enough of that. So would you, I, w I would imagine when you go into, you know, and you go into do an investigation that more often than not, you'll have team members after the fact will say, well, you know, I, I thought something wasn't right about what was going on. I just didn't say anything, but it didn't. I'm sure you hear that a lot. A great deal. And that just so, re, re, uh, reconfirms my, my position. That's why we go in and interview everybody in the practice. And we will find out what's going on by doing so. Boot, you cannot beat boots on the ground because we will hear things that the doctor never hears and other team members don't hear. Um, all right, so as we, uh, Brian, you and I could probably talk for two days on all this and you give us some good, um, some good, really essential things you ought to be doing on a, on a daily basis. Would you reiterate uh, something we haven't talked about today, uh, but average tenure of an embezzler today is how many years in employment on average? It generally takes the, uh, the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners, which is the accreditation agency for myself and, and uh, 70,000 other CFEs, is 12 to 18 months before a fraud or an embezzlement is discovered. Before it's discovered? Before it's discovered. Wow, okay. Okay, now that said, we recently did one that went on for four years because no one was willing to admit, and I key in on the word no one, was willing to admit that someone in the family of the practice, not the doctor's family or anything, but the family members, employees of the practice, no one wanted to admit that it was happening. Got it. And so that's that's what it takes. That's the time before it's discovered. What what's the average um, employment time of a of someone who does something like this? I mean, they they come in and start right away. Have they been around a while? What's the what's the average now? The average start time. They generally uh, start within the first sixty to ninety days of employment. Of employment. Wow. And then depending upon when. When we got into this business, we would find maybe two schemes working in a practice, and now we find as many as 11 to 13 scams, which we wow. just found 13 scams in a practice that we finished back in last fall. Wow. And, and there's a reason that, that that occurs. But in answer to your question, it can go on until the, the uh, perpetrator either satisfies their need and want of what they feel the practice can give them, there's a, they become accustomed to a certain level of, of style of living. And if they can't achieve that in a practice, they will leave sooner and try to find another practice to go to because embezzlement and fraud is, is absolutely an addiction. And they, just like cocaine or any other uh, substance, 
becomes an addiction. They, they have a lifestyle they have to support. If they can't support that, they will, they will leave and they will uh, go to another practice. They will try to go to a practice of the same software, both bookkeeping like QuickBooks or Dentrix or whatever it might, EagleSoft, whatever it might be, because they're familiar, because they hate change. They are tremendously opposed to change. <laughs> so if, I, if I'm interviewing somebody who has 20 years experience working in Dentrix, that may be a good thing and that may be a bad thing. And that's why you want to vet. Yeah, I guess. Okay. Carefully. Carefully. All right. Now we can spend a lot more time. We're gonna we're gonna go ahead and wrap it up. Um, and one thing uh, that I want to emphasize, I know that you've told me before, is if you suspect or even if you uncover something, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, that the the last thing you should do as as the immediate reaction is call the police am i right the the worst thing you can do is confront the employee particularly okay. among other employees they should call their attorney um visit with their attorney they call you <laughs> for good no, they're going to call you if they call me i'm going to i'm going to give them your information to call you and i'm always available 24 7 and uh but call the police but be aware of the fact that if you call the police they're going to send a black and white out with a patrol officer and the world will know that something is not not correct right but by calling your attorney and taking guidance and counsel from your attorney your practice management consultant on the basics of what to do to react to the situation so that you can gather farther, further evidence and be armed with the facts instead of rumors and what ifs and maybes. I would do that before I would call the police and have them come out there because 99% of the time they haven't got a clue about what to do in dentistry. Got it. Okay, so um, with that in mind, um, two, two things that I'm going to recommend uh, just to everyone listening, watching today is, is one, uh, first phone call that I would make uh, if I suspected anything would be to you. And I'm going to have you give everybody your contact information, phone and email address um, right now. And uh, number two is of the few things that we've talked about today, and there's a lot more, um, there's uh, a lot that can be done preventatively to set up the systems so that you've got uh, checks and balances every step along the way uh, and to give yourself the peace of mind and also set up the systems so that everybody knows that they're protected. And I think it's, it's uh, just as important for a team member to be protected and not to be put in a situation where they could be unnecessarily called into question as well as you want yourself protected. Uh, so contact information for Bryant Truitt. This is going to be, uh, I'll be on speed dial when you need it. <laughs> speed dial when you need it and also to get stuff set up so you don't have to worry about where stuff is. So best, best way to get a hold of you. Is the phone number, my cell number is 210-241-6329. And the email address is bryant at... Brightan, B-R-Y-T-A-N, associates.com. 
and go on there and read about these subjects that we've talked about today in our blog session. Okay. Got it. Perfect. Brian, thank you uh, as always for your good tips and the wake up call. Uh, and uh, I'll just part with this. I'm going to end where we started, which is uh, if you don't know whether or not you've got fidelity insurance or a fidelity bond, uh, you got to pick up your phone right now and call your property and casualty insurance agent. And if you do, you got to make sure you know how much it is. That is probably one of the, the, the lowest cost, simplest things to have in place to protect yourself. And uh, a lot of people don't, and it would be a good thing uh, to have in place to give you a little more peace of mind. So thanks for being our mentor again, Brian. Appreciate everything you do for us. Thank you, Steve. It's been an honor and a pleasure again.